Good day and welcome to the Frontline Chatter podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with co-host uh, Andrew Morgan. Uh, Andy, it's been a while. Great to have you back on. How you doing? I'm back, baby. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic to be back. Um, I have had a, a turmoil, or a, what would you say, turmoil throughout the summer with, with some family issues and stuff, but I am delighted to be back on the Frontline Chatter podcast. Um, it's good to see you. It's good, it's good to talk to you, brother. Yeah, good to talk to you as well. Um, like I said, you know, it's got to have you back on. You know, um, Case and I have been holding the fort down. We've had Rory um, helping out as, as well, but it, it's always good to have you back and, and to uh, and to have things going again. So let, let's go ahead and introduce our, our next guest. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're delighted to finally get Sasha um, on uh, to speak to us today all about Device Trust. Uh, Sasha, for anybody who doesn't know you, uh, would you mind giving us a brief introduction? Yeah, perfect. And also, uh, hello from my side and uh, very proud to be part of your show. Yeah, my name is Sascha Gerke. I'm from Germany. I'm uh, I'm uh, working for the company Device Trust. I was, I'm one of the co-founder of Device Trust. I live near Frankfurt in Germany. I'm uh, around about 40, uh, 45 years old. And I'm, yeah, I think I'm for the last uh, around about 16 years in the end user computing market. Started end of the 90s with MetaFrame and WinFrame. So a really uh, long history in this market. And yeah, I think that's in a nutshell for me. I, I, I find it so funny that I, I, we have, we've met a number of times at, at E2E VC um, yes. and uh, I find it amazing how the, our industry, um, you know, or DSH in particular, our background around this, it doesn't matter how old that technology is, somebody always finds a new solution or use case or, or fringe benefit that they can add value to the, to the product. Um, I mean, it, it, device trust would have been very pertinent 15 years ago and it's just as pertinent today. It's, yeah. uh, it's amazing how the, uh, the industry just, you know, keeps chucking along and keeps finding new solutions. Another, but, you know, uh, the, uh, sorry, go on. Yeah, that's a very valid point, uh, Andy. As, um, I also need to say it's it's amazing that you see the people, normally you say you see people twice in life, and I would say in our community, we see us more than twice, and it's uh, really good. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> it's a small world. It is. It is a very small world, and it's fantastic, though. I mean, it's it's clever technology. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, obviously, we're delighted to have you on. And um, if you know, well, let's open up. I mean, what what is Device Trust, and what did you set out to achieve when you started? Yeah, uh, what's Device Trust? So, um, I think we started uh, in beginning of 2016. Uh, Device Trust is a German uh, independent software vendor. We are headquartered near Frankfurt, as where I'm coming from, a town called Darmstadt. And um, and we have also our development department is based near Manchester. So that's in a, in a nutshell device trust. Uh, we currently up to eight to 10 uh, employees. Um, and what we are addressing in the market is what we call contextualizing IT. So what we mean with that, if we look, if you look back a little bit and uh, to historical, as you already said, uh, about uh, when uh, we said device trust could be used also 15 years ago. And I think if we look back um, to our history, so the three founders of device trust all coming from the end user computing market. And we made a lot of experience uh, working for a vendor at that time. And what we found over the last, let's say, four, five, six years, 
that the uh, VDI technology or end-user computing technology is more and more used in companies. And it's also more used not only in a static way. So in the old days, it was always, I would say, a very static approach to use uh, end-user computing. So users were sitting every morning at the same place with the same device connecting their environment. And over time, what we found out is that the technology is used also in modern, more, more dynamic um, workplace scenarios. So the users wants to work more uh, in a more dynamic. They want to work today in the office, tomorrow in the home office. They need to work from on, uh, on the road. And by doing that, all our customers are raising questions and, and concerns about how can we apply the right security set uh, on that modern uh, workspace. And what the, what the turns out was that the role of the user is not, not good enough to control access anymore. Because um, if I'm a member of, for example, the HR department working from inside the corporate network, I get uh, access to a specific uh, HR applications and data. But if I'm the same user working now, let's say in a public Wi-Fi network uh, area, did I still want to have the same kind of access? And what customers was asking was, can we get more information about device, uh, sorry, not device, but device trust, but can we get more information about the device, about the place the user is coming from? And I think that was more or less the start of device trust to think about context as we call it and yeah and that was i think the um, the raw idea for uh, starting device trust to enable uh, the id uh, to use context and for us was also very important to use context not just in one utility one management solution we want to make context available on, our, on any kind of management solution you're using i think that's that's the start of device trust beginning of 2016 very nice journey until today <laughs> already Oh, I can imagine. And I mean, we hit on the point about, you know, how this industry has um, has grown and fleshed out and, you know, the, the relevance of the of the of, of what your product does. And we'll talk about later to even back then. But uh, I suppose my question or comment I'd make is that I think the whole industry has become a lot more um, security focused in the yes. in the last few years. I mean, from technologies like, you know, mobile device management and that yes. kind of stuff. And I think everybody, uh, every vendor has started to up their ante on uh, in regards to context, you know. What 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 the user is, where they're coming yes. from, and maybe lifting stuff. But as an example, ten years ago, it would have been perfectly acceptable to just say, yeah, you know, you're outside the perimeter, you get access to nothing except for this. Whereas these days, people are asking for more and more and more, and it's it's there's a very small amount of solutions out there which you guys do a very good job of doing uh, of actually picking up that context and passing it into where it needs to be evaluated in order to give yes. that access so it's uh, yeah it's fantastic Oh, that's that's exactly what we're doing in, in a nutshell is uh, to enable IT, enable uh, existing technologies, management solutions to use the context uh, in any kind of way. And um, that's where we started with. No, it's good to hear. That's great. Yeah, and I definitely agree with what Andy said that, you know, security is becoming on the, you know, the forefront and everyone's concerned about security today than they were um, in the past. So can you kind of tell us about the, the contextual security and, and the user experience in device trust? Absolutely. I'm, I'm fully agree with what you said is uh, security is getting more and more uh, a hot topic. Um, uh, because of the current situation we are in in IT, sometimes about data, and um, you're absolutely right. So I think when we when we go and talk to our customers and talk to our partners, we talk about contextual security. So what we mean, the traditional security methods are all around the we say the user group membership 
or uh, um, yeah, the role of the user. And what we want to enable is to apply security policies based on context. And what we, when we talk about context, context is at the moment we are delivering around about 150 uh, context properties of an endpoint on Windows endpoint, for example. But in a nutshell, what we understand about contextual security is to consider the endpoint when it's connecting your environment. And when we say considering the endpoint is not just is this a secure device, it's more about what endpoint is used, what network is used, is this a Wi-Fi, is this an open Wi-Fi, is this a secure Wi-Fi, is this a corporate Wi-Fi, for example. And it ended up also with the location you are connecting to. Because what we also learned in the uh, in the last couple of years is that customers hosting one central EUC platform and users are connecting around the world to this platform and each country has its own, uh, for example, uh, requirements which we need to be fulfilled and therefore you need context and that's what we define as contextual security, considering the context by allowing or denying access or uh, to the, your desktop, to your published application or to even to installed applications. Um, and user experience or contextual user experiences for us, it's lesson learned also from our customers. If we look back at the uh, uh, customers, build it up different farms for different access scenario. And if you deeper look into that, why they're doing that, it all turns out that they have just the role of the user to decide what you can and what you can't do. And therefore, for us, contextual user experience enables the user to use what he or she is allowed to use and make sure on the other side, he only can do what he's allowed to do. And this is what we understand about contextual security and contextual user experience. It is a it is a very clever offering, and what what I really like about it is, um, what, I mean, obviously the the role in cloud and and security has 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 massively moved everything forward in the sense that previously with um with most of these technologies you you secure at the perimeter right yes, you correct. you make a couple of decisions based on uh, you know some some vendors look at the endpoints some vendors don't look at the endpoints um. It, uh, but at which point, once they've gotten over that threshold, there's there's no information passed in to make any additional decisions, right? Whereas if you look at cloud with CASB and all the rest, you can do some smart things in there in regards to um, in regards to what you access and what you don't. But yes. there's nobody in our space today who takes that information, passes it through, and allows you to make decisions be it on the desktop or in the application or exactly. via, uh, you know another entry point. So it, it's a uh, it, it it's 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 very refreshing to see that the 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 paradigm of what we're doing in this industry now is has you have shifted it right through to be evaluated in any number of ways. Would that be fair? Absolutely, this is absolutely valid point, and I can only 100% agree what you're saying. And you also pointed out another very important point: is it's the context. If you, ha I would say there are some access gateway solutions which have very limited context in what you can uh, check for, and it's very complicated to uh, enhance that uh, to other information. And you're absolutely right, and this stays in that product. So, but you, uh, when you're accessing your published desktop, for example, your published application set, you want to decide on that point. Uh, what you're allowed to do or what you're not allowed to do. In addition to that, what is also interesting uh, lesson learned, I would say, is if you go to more mid-size or bigger mid-size or enterprise customers, we're not talking about 
we have a LAN here, we have a LAN here and there. It's all one corporate network around the globe. So we are also talking not only about remoting into your uh, EUC environment, we are also talking about customers, about use cases using context inside the corporate network because they also need to know where you are in the network because they are all one global network now. And this is all the additional point I want to make on that comment from you. But you're absolutely right. No, it is a it is a fascinating use case. I mean, so I mean, let, let's 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 simplify it a bit because maybe I jumped a little bit ahead uh, of myself, that knowing the product as well as I do. I mean, if you're explaining it to to somebody outside, and let's let's assume they're a Citrix customer, when it, from 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 start to finish, what would you expect a Citrix customer to to experience and and, and leverage using device trust in a in a, in a standard connection? I think in the standard connections, you will get, uh, and, and for us, it's fully transparent what kind of uh, connection you're using. So if you're using a, a local area net or the LAN connection, you're inside the corporate network or you're connecting from outside. Uh, from, a, from a customer's experiences, wherever the user is coming from, you always know the context of the endpoint within your virtual session. And it's totally independent if we talk about um, uh, shared desktops like RDSH uh, server, or we talk about VDI like Windows 10 you're connecting to. Uh, this is fully transparent. It's always, uh, it's always up to date as well. So if you, if you go into your virtual environment, you see immediately where the user is coming from, what kind of device is using, and you can act on that absolutely okay so and that, that that's an important overview as well in the sense that everything is passed through um seamlessly to the to the um to the uh, the or the the end session if you will be an application exactly. desktop and then it can be it can be picked up from there so i mean let's let's talk about those context actions and triggers then i mean mm -hmm. what 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 yeah what are what are they and how, what, how would a, a, an administrator normally put them into play in your experience absolutely so what i think um what we have is when we talk about context i think end of the day what a customer wants to know is for, I, I take this example a secure endpoint so if you would ask 10 customers to ask what do you think is a, is in your definition a secure endpoint i would guess you get 20 different answers so when, when we talk about context context for us is the is the logical combination of context properties so for example for one customer a secure endpoint is just is there an AV installed? Is this up to date? Is this running? Is there firewall active? Is Windows update uh, up to date, for example? For another customer, it's much more. It could be the device needs, uh, the endpoint shouldn't be remote controlled. There need to be a specific certificate. So this is the first instance of device trust. So the first instance is to create your context you're looking for out of the context properties we deliver into the virtual session. So that's step number one. So this is uh, is fully customizable, but we also uh, deliver templates with the software. So if you're if you want to start to play with device trust, we have some good uh, templates to be used. And based on the templates, you can create your own context. So in the context itself can be defined whatever you want to do. So it's up to you end of the day uh, how you want to define your context beside the templates we deliver. And if for example, the security state, as an example, if you make your your, uh, your context for the security state, this, uh, this context can have two states. One is protected, one is unprotected, for for example. And then it, let's assume you're signing in into your into your EOC environment on the log on. We check the context, and based on the context, this is now the next step. We can trigger actions. So we can apply actions on the context. So for example, during log on, we identify, oh, that's a secure endpoint. That's great. Then we leave the session running and you can, uh, you, the user can work with the session. Um, 
maybe on a reconnect, you reconnect from a different device. And in this instance, um, the, co the context secure device is now unprotected. Therefore, we prevent access to the session. And again, we don't care how the session gets established through VPN, through, uh, through a, a gateway, SSL gateway, or inside the corporate network. But we can even go further with that. So for example, if you are signed in into your virtual environment and you're working as a user, then some malicious, uh, malicious activity take place on your endpoint during your session runtime. We even get that change. So we understand, oh, something goes on on your endpoint, which is not uh, compliant with our with our requirements. And therefore, we can even control the access, for example, during session runtime. So in other words, if I'm working as a user, some malicious activity takes place on my endpoint, we, can, we identify that. And based on our trigger, uh, we can apply different actions. In this instance, I just talked about our condition access um, uh, options we have. Additional to the um, conditional access or conditional uh, access to application desktops, we also offer us uh, ability to use Microsoft AppLocker, for example, to deny applications instead of uh, controlling access to the whole session. And that goes far beyond, uh, for example, setting crew policies uh, context-based within the virtual environment. So there's another nice use case we have seen from our customers, or it's, for example, if, uh, if an endpoint is using a secure screensaver. What a secure screensaver is, is defined by different context properties. But let's say it needs a screensaver needs to be enabled. The timeout needs to be uh, equal, uh, lower equal 50 minutes, for example, and needs to be a built-in screensaver. So if this all maps, then we know in the virtual session, oh, the, the endpoint is using a secure screensaver. So what we're doing in that instance, we use our triggers and our actions to apply now a new crew policy within the, within the EOC environment to disable it's a screensaver because there's no screensaver required in the in the UC environment because the endpoint already have uh, a secure um, screensaver. If the screensaver is changing during session runtime, for example, or on a, on a reconnect or new log on, we can reset the policy within the EOC environment to adapt the right uh, policy settings. That's what we understand about what is context. And based on the context, we can trigger the context changes. We can trigger different actions. And actions are really about uh, denying access or allow access to your whole environment, um, allowing or denying access on applications. We can do this, for, as I said, with Microsoft AppLocker, for example. We can use FSLogix app masking. We could, we could use applica uh, Ivanti application control. Or we can also set policies and other stuff. I think that's in a nutshell what we understand about context, triggers, and actions. That's a fantastic overview. I mean, you hit pretty much every point that I was that I was hoping to, to get across. You you take all of this information from the endpoint, you push it into the virtual desktop, you actively or a virtual application, yeah. you actively check to make sure that it's still compliant or it's still set a certain way, and you make new decisions based on anything that changes. Um one one quick thing, and really it's for me, it's um when you're you're making these triggers or actions based off the the technology that or the the information that you're passing through, is it um, device trust itself who's kicking off the actions, or do you rely on a third party, or do you do both? We do. I think a good point. We do both. So um, there's some. Let's say there's some built-in actions like a conditional a conditional access, which is a built-in technology. This is what we have part of our product. If we talk, for example, about AppLocker, FSLogix, or Ivanti application control, this is something where we trigger 
those products uh, to real evaluate your their policy set to make sure the application can be accessed or cannot be accessed. So it's I would say it's, it's both things. So we have part of it. It's uh, it's ourselves. We do, uh, we offer this um, this different actions. On the other side, we are also capable to inform other solutions to reevaluate your their policy set. No, that's fantastic, and it's fantastic to know that you know you can you can leverage the product today to make some decisions, or you can also reuse your your efforts with with uh, UEM technology as an example to Perfect. to apply or reapply the technology. So that's that's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, point. Just one comment on that side, and and I think um you're absolutely right, and this is also lesson learned. Maybe it would be a part of our first conversation we had when we started, but also lesson we learned is a lot of customers already have different management solutions in place. So if and you talked about about UEM vendors and there we all know there's different UEM vendors in market in the market we also see that uh, all the, the the major vendors also acquired companies to do UEM uh, stuff uh, or we also see customers using native scripts native group policies and what we want is to integrate to offer our technology to be used in all this kind of management so just this little comment on that point yeah, I mean, and I loved your your example. It was so simple, but it's actually something that I've come across before. I wrote an <laughs> I wrote an application to get around the screensaver policy a couple of um a couple of uh, a couple of years ago for that very reason. If I have a screensaver locally, I don't yeah. want to have to keep putting my password into a virtual desktop remotely. And in that scenario, you're you're not talking about you know you're not saving hours a day, but you're saving certainly minutes a day, and those minutes exactly. add up time and time again for what is a redundant security policy given that you've already taken it into account and there's nobody doing that today it's it's a value add to an end user's life that is just that's it's it's worth it 100 percent right and this is what we understand about contextual user experience now get the user the most the best uh, experience based on his context another topic on that is dbi uh, settings so we also learned uh, as another use case is um, that the users are now using this Windows 10 modern screens with high DPE solution, uh, resolution. Sorry, uh, but why should we? Why should the user change the different settings in the client? So what we want, we adapt what we have on the endpoint and do it automatically into the EOC environment. So if you have a high DPE settings, we take that. And before the shell gets launched on your EOC environment, we adapt the same settings. And that's what we understand about contextual user experience. Good points. Yeah, um, one, one thing too, I love that you guys will sit there and you know have your own stuff built in, but also be able to extend by integrating with, with existing solutions. A, a lot of times with, with some solutions out there, it's either all in the product or, you know, and you have to dump your existing, what you've already done, your existing, you know, scripts or, or controls, that kind of stuff. So. That, that, that's a key thing there is that you guys will do your own plus you'll integrate with existing which is huge especially for large enterprises absolutely correct and this is this is also the lesson we learned from our customers and partners and we shouldn't have a closed system so we want to be open uh, so others can use it as well or we can trigger so them. so one thing we, we talked about you know sessions being re remote you know being local um, applications desktops andy use citrix as an example so you know, what, what protocols do you guys support? And then, you know, how do you integrate with that? And are you looking at anything, you know, on the roadmap to do further integrations with as far as protocols? Good, good, good question. So uh, at the current build, we are on 80.1. We are supporting uh, Microsoft RDP protocol. We're supporting Citrix ICA. 
We're supporting Amazon Workspaces, which is based on PC over IP. That's the three protocols we're currently supporting. And within our next uh, within our next uh, release, uh, we will also support VMware uh, Horizon View. All three protocols of VMware will be supported. And uh, on those uh, remoting protocols, it's now a little bit dependent on the endpoint you're using. So, for example, on the Windows side, uh, what we use to get this information over to um, to the host or to the to the virtual environment is we're using the virtual channels within the, the different remoting protocols. So each remoting protocols offers uh, offers virtual channels to be used, and that's exactly what we what we use uh, to get the information from the endpoint up to the uh, to the host you're connected to. And for some other um, tech, uh, platforms, for example, iOS as an example, on iOS you don't have any virtual channels. It's not available. It's impossible. And uh, for those environments, we're using a gateway server which is currently um, uh, hosted on Azure. Uh, so we have we have both ways. I think technology-wise, we're using the remoting protocols on platforms which supporting this virtual channels and on platforms which don't support virtual channels, we, we go through a gateway right now. I think that's, that's how it works. Very simple, very efficient as well. That's really nice. I like I like the fact that you have the the two options in there straight away. You know, the ability to go through the session or pick it up elsewhere. Um, it's a very important um, use case, and I think it's where a lot of vendors who maybe weren't as committed would probably just give up. Um, or say we don't support that scenario because what you're doing now is you're actually building two entirely different. Um, uh, foundations yeah. for providing this information, and I, I have to applaud the fact that you um, you have provided those solutions in that way, so that you know there is choice and it's all it's all included. Does that make it, sense? It's absolutely correct, and this is uh, absolutely this that's our goal or what we try to achieve is we want to make it on both sides uh, workable. No? End of the day, because if you look forward, and it's also a question you raise about a bit about roadmap and future stuff is. Um, I don't know what your experience is about that, but I think we see more and more HTML5-based remoting, if I can say that mm -hmm. this way. So it's not based on a, on a client needs, which needs to be installed on the endpoint. Uh, so we saw Microsoft, we saw Citrix, VMware, everyone has his HTML5 endpoint clients as well now. So I think it's also for us a very important step to go into this direction to support those uh, kind of access methods as well in the future. And therefore, we need to have a way which is independent from a virtual channel absolutely right completely agree and from, sorry go on go ahead. no i was going to say you know from an from html5 point standpoint isn't that going to be a little bit difficult because not all of them will have tons of virtual channels to piggyback on some yeah. everything's in the browser so that, that's going to that's be a big challenge to get html5 support it's for us. Other, um, um, I think you asked my, uh, me or if, it's, if it's difficult for us. I think from what we're currently doing is from a research point of view, we're looking into that, and um, there is ways we can we can implement uh, or we not implement but support also HTML5 clients. So for us, if I would say uh, until end of the year, we will able to show it also on HTML5 remoting. So for us, it shouldn't be uh, a difficulty. As we as seeing it at the moment in research. I think I've figured out how you're going to do this, but it actually leads me into the um, into the <laughs> next question very nicely. So I'll um I'll just I'll just mention that. But just before I do lead over, the 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 great thing about the use case for HTML5 is most people will think, okay, well look, it's just a single pane of glass. They they can click through it, they can see what they get back. But they also have printing in there. They also yeah. have potential 
document access that you may not want to leave the perimeter. I mean, even if it's just a screenshot, a screenshot yes. could company then depending on how on how volatile that screenshot is so um it's you know it's a it's a it is a it's a really cool use case but i'm not going to say any more about that because you'll probably explain how, you, how you're going to do that next <laughs> so you mentioned that we you, you can do endpoints like um you know bypassing stuff through virtual channels but and you also mentioned that with ios you don't have that option because there's just no sdks available to do mm -hmm. virtual channels in ios so what endpoints are really supported here, and how, and how do you handle the ones that you can't do the virtual channels? With? That's, good, that's a good point. So at the moment, we support any Windows 7 onwards uh, release, including Server 2008 or 2 or newer as endpoints. So that's what we uh, support on the Windows side. On the um, we support Ubuntu as uh, as an endpoint OS, and the reason why we support Ubuntu is because we also support IGL, and IGL OS is based on Ubuntu, and though therefore we have both releases at the same time. So this is also, I, uh, sorry, IGL um, uh, OS is also supported. We are part of any IGL OS uh, delivery, uh, but you need to enable um, device first, but I can talk about the deployment a little bit later in detail. Uh, we support also iOS. So iOS is also a supported platform, and we will release soon a new Mac client supporting um, the um, uh, device trust functionality. And then we are, I think the next two uh, open platforms we want to support is Android and it's uh, Chrome OS. But we want to see which one we do first, so because there's a lot of things going on with Android and Chrome OS. And therefore, I think based on the customer requirements we got, I think it looks like it's Chrome OS could be the first one. But we will see, I think, at the moment, uh, officially available, as I said, Windows, IGL, uh, Ubuntu, and Mac coming soon. I think it's, it's near four weeks ago when we released that. And then we need to look what's next beyond that. I think that's the platforms we're currently supporting. And the only one we are not supporting with virtual channels at the moment is iOS, because iOS doesn't offer that uh, functionality. But it's a built-in technology, so it's um, you as a, as a consultant or a customer you don't need to care about that. So we offer the service uh, as part of the licensing, so you can easily configure that tenant, and then you can use this uh, for your iOS devices. Very good. And you mentioned tenancy there. I, excuse me if, if I missed this earlier, but how, how is that handled then? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what we have. I think the what I said before, we need a service which, which acts as a gateway to deliver the contacts from an iOS device into your uh, virtual environment. And this is this gateway kind of thing. It's, it's a tenant which is customer specific because we don't want to share uh, data between customers. So therefore, this runs in Azure as a service. The only thing, um, you really don't need to configure anything. This is all set it up automatically. You don't need to care about the Azure environment. The only thing uh, you need to know is what's my a API key. That's the only thing you need, and that's it. So that's that's the integration with uh, on this Azure side kind of stuff. Very good. Okay, so you've you've you're 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 in in essence you've created this this platform yes. that can act as the man in the middle for the data broker to pass data over. Correct. Um, so you can call out to receive it when you want it because the the so you've you've architected around the. The, um, the virtual channel limitation actually opening yes. yourself up to far more platforms. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. That that's the yeah, that's the way how it is. So you... that's fantastic. Okay, so I think I kind of skipped. The, I, I I accidentally skipped over this question because one led into the other. But I mean, so I mean, <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk brass tacks then. I mean, for for the administrator sitting out here listening to this, thinking this is the next coming of uh, of um, of their savior. What what 
what does a typical device trust deployment consist of and what gets installed yeah that's a, that's a good point and, and i'm really proud about what i will say now in the next couple of uh, uh seconds is the first point is we don't need any additional infrastructure so to um, so to, to use to use um, device trust in your deployment, you don't need to install any additional uh, software in web servers or database or something. We, we our technology is based on two components. So one component is a component which runs on your on your EOC environments or on your on your shared session desktop on your VDI. This is what we call the device trust host. The device trust host, host itself is just the MSI package which can be installed automatically, automated. Uh, many your whatever you want to do and this resize and this installs a service which called device trust host service and uh, this is on on your uh, on your host side where you're connecting to from an end from an end user perspective on the endpoint itself we need a piece of software and this is now very important first of all this software is just a one-time installation so you just one time you need to install device trust and then you can forget about that because if a newer device trust version comes out the administrator can apply a policy uh, to automatically update the endpoint uh, without any user interaction. That even works from endpoints we cannot reach from from a network point of view. Um, so that's that's the endpoint. And the endpoint, another very important point is the software just needs to be installed. No configuration needs to be applied. Nothing. So um, this is just a software which runs like a GoToMeeting client runs to access the GoToMeeting session, for example. And um, so and now this is the architecture. So you have two components, and the both components talk to each other. So for example, um, as I said before, we offer more than 150 context properties out, uh, from your, for example, Windows endpoint. So let's assume you say, hey, Sasha, that's too much for our use case. We just need 20 information. So how can I change that, that I just get the 20 and not the 150 you're talking about? This is what you do on the central EOC platform. So where the host gets installed, we can apply a group policy or a local policy, depends on your uh, deployment. And within this group policy, for example, you decided, no, I just want to get this 20 information off the endpoint. And uh, then you configure that on that side. And the next time the, uh, the ICA, RDP session, uh, plus session, whatever, is getting connected, the client talks to the host, they exchange some logic to make sure it's our client and it's secure. And then the host tells the client, hey, I have a little update for you, a config update. Then the, the client reads this, uh, this update and, oh, just the 20 information you need. And then it's going away and just getting this 20 information and send it over uh, to the virtual channel uh, to the host. And that all works within milliseconds during log on or a, or a reconnect or during session runtime as well. And that's, I think, in a nutshell, that's what it is. It's two components. Um, you're managing everything on the central component with screw policies, and you don't need to touch the client at all when you have installed it on Windows or on IHL, for example, on IHL OS, you need to enable device trust or device trust supports on IHL at the moment, um, ICA and RDP. VMware is coming, uh, coming soon and other pro remoting protocols. And uh, it just needs to be enabled and that's it. That's the whole architecture. It's really straightforward, no infrastructure. Very simple, very efficient. So, so once the, uh, just to make it clear with this, so once the agent's enabled, it's gonna automatically update itself going forward. Nothing needs to be done from the admin side? 
Yes, correct. You don't need to touch the client at all. So what we what we what we decide, you know, this is also a lesson learned is uh, when we started in 2016. So people were a bit, oh, I need to install something on the endpoint, no? and maybe that's an endpoint which is not controlled by our IT. It's 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 an external company, is a contractor is working for us or whatever. So we need to make it very simple. So at the moment, the device trust client is not specific to any customer. The device trust client can be accessed from our website. You can download, you can install it, and that's it. And also for corporate devices is the same way. Um, and when, for example, new device trust client is out, you def you, uh, you decide or configure a policy within the device trust host group policy, and you say, for example, I only allow clients which are newer than 80.1. So, and if if for example a user connects with an older client, he gets a nice blocking message to say, hey, we are updating your client, and the message can be again can be customized, and then the host tells the client, hey, here's a new software. Please uh, download the software, install the software, and this works all t uh, fully transparent to the user. The only thing the user sees really is a message which tells you exactly what's going on. Like I'm downloading the software, installing software, ready, please uh, log on again, and everything is done. And that's what we have done to make the impact for the user as, as low as possible. I like, how, I like how you do that. Yeah, I like how you make the that process, you know, very simple from the end user. All they see is a message. Everything else is, is taken care of in the background. I also yeah. like how it, it's a very lightweight infrastructure, not having to put up a, a bunch of infrastructure up front to get device trust up and running. Yes, correct. That was, um, I think that was one of our design goals in the beginning, um, to make this really efficient and without any big infrastructure play. Um, well, that's, I, I would say in, today now as a startup, we are more or less uh, below three years old. This is lesson learned. No, this is, and therefore we need to change it. On iTunes, for example, is different. Or on iOS, for example, in iOS, if we have a new iOS app, it's available through App Store, so the user not really see any any upgrades on that. Uh, but on the Windows side, we we need to change it a little bit, and therefore it's very efficient now. And it's also very impressive when you see that when you connect into your virtual environment, you get a nice blocking screen, tells you what's going on, and also tells you all the steps the installer is doing on the endpoint within the virtual session. And then it's done. You say, hey, sign in again, and that's all done. It's all up to date. That's a fantastic use case because, I mean, the one thing administrators absolutely hate is trying to manage the clients yeah. who are outside of the perimeter, right? Absolutely. And there are many solutions in the market to do that today. But you, you may not own the device. You may not want to own the device. You may not right. ever want to worry about that. But you need to make sure that they're secure and whatever you require is up to date and the fact that you're leveraging that technology to push it down is i, I know you call it a lesson learned but it's a, it's a key um it, it, it i think it's it's very telling of your of your company that you're taking these as many lessons as learned as you've mentioned throughout this call and actually building it building it into product as quickly yep. as you are so um it's a it's a fantastic um piece of technology to have under your belt i suppose is the right. point i'm trying to make this is absolutely, absolutely right, and this is really learning from customers, listening to customers, listening to community, and that's also a very important point, is, is getting feedback quite early, and that was, I think I would say, the success of Device Trust, where we are with a product right now. And uh, another very important point you mentioned already in your in your point is, um, what 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 IT what IT wants to know? They don't want to manage endpoints, because that's what you highlight, and that's, I forgot maybe on the intro, it's, 
They don't want to manage the endpoints. They don't want to do any kind of management on the endpoints. Is this is this a corporate own bring your own device? Is this a cop a corporate uh, but personal enabled? All this kind of of concepts. You're aware of that. I think what we learned there was a, a guy told us that in the in the past what he really likes on device trust is the fact that you don't need to manage the endpoint, but you know everything about the endpoint. And that's that's I think that's uh, is also a nice summary about the benefits. So, so kind of, well, let's, let's take another step here. So we have device trust in, you know, we have the agent deployed, we're ready to go. So, you know, once we're up and running, how do we verify everything's working as it should? Is, is there a console that we can see where agents kind of can be reporting to see their status? And then also too, if something happens or is not working the way it should, how are we gonna troubleshoot device trust? That's a good point. Also, well, we a lesson learned also, sorry when I say that, but customers told us on the beginning, please don't create your own management, uh, sorry, your own reporting uh, interface. So what we're doing to verify what device trust is doing, we integrate in the Microsoft event log. So we have our own uh, own place in that. And um, whatever device trust is doing is its reports into the event log. And because customers told us we already have a reporting solution, so it would be nice if we can just collect what you write down into to the event log. So that's step number one is when everything works fine and maybe some 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 minor issues, they're all raised in the event log and with different events. So we have different events sorting out different messages. Additional to that, if something really goes bad, for example, um, the virtual channel is not working, we cannot establish a connection between the host or the client or the client and the host. Then we have on both sides, we have built in uh, debugging uh, tools, which is already installed, already doing. So we do an, uh, um, a little command line, which can be used to troubleshoot what device trust is really doing. And that is also very, um, I would say, a very efficient uh, way we have to do it. And we have done it because it's it's very simple to use and you can export the information, the log, to send it to our support team. You can read live what's going on. There's a translation that so it's, it's really nice. So I think we have the Microsoft event log for the operational kind of thing. And we have uh, the troubleshooting about our debug, uh, debug tool if something really goes bad and you need to get more information uh, which you cannot see within the UI. And that's the way we have the debug tool right now. It's fantastic. I, one thing I, I just wanted to to, to, to mention that you apologize. You apologize for using the, the term "lesson learned." That I don't think you should apologize for that at all. That <laughs> it, it it speaks true of a vendor that they have they are taking as much feedback on board as they go along, and rather than just plowing ahead because it's easier to do things one way, you're you're, yep. you're modifying it to the other. So yeah, I like the idea of the fact that there's no central console for for management of endpoints. I mean, there's a plethora of tools and technologies out there today to pick up these kind of event logs and I mean I'm surprised be surprised if customers aren't already using those so they can be looked at that way yeah. or similarly if they just want to troubleshoot one thing they just log into the console of where the user is logged in and they can get what they need so it's um it's you know it's great and uh, yeah that I I I don't think the lesson learned thing is a is, is something worth apologizing for I think it, it speaks volumes for the company yeah they're true they're absolutely true it's it's you need to find the right way now and I think because we are young and uh, that's that's what well, that's what we learn and I think we listen that's something we really like any kind of feedback also from uh, anyone in the community we are happy to hear <laughs> <laughs> good 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 um, so um, real quick Andy. Um, 
So I, I like you, you keep saying lesson learned as we're asking questions because, you know, it, it very much shows that you're, you're listening to your customers. You're very much, you know, designing and moving your product forward with admin experience and user experience yeah. in mind. So, so really thumbs up on that. Thank you. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. It's also good to hear from our, from our development team to hear this kind of feedback, which I need to pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier on your, your tenant slash platform sitting out there in the, in, the, in, in the cloud. So what is Device Trust's cloud strategy, I suppose, is my question. <laughs> At the moment today, you mentioned it's, it's for iOS, but Surely there's there's more that can be leveraged up there and, and what what are you thinking about yeah. your your cloud? Good good point. Um so I would say the um the current Azure platform it's really like um just the gateway service we need because of the limitation of the missing virtual channel. Um but when we talk about cloud, I think we see the cloud in two different ways. So number one is um desktop as a service is a big thing. I talked big, uh, on the beginning about Amazon Workspaces. So um, this is what we see. So we're supporting already uh, also the Citrix Cloud and VMware. When, when you host your, your Windows desktops or shared desktops in the cloud, this is for us no different. So from a technology-wise, this is for us independent if it runs on-prem or it runs in the cloud. So that's one side. On the other side, when we talk about cloud, it's can we make the usage of device trust maybe uh, maybe even I don't want to say better, but maybe more flexible because you don't need to install anything on your site uh, when you talk about uh, like DAS, desktop as a service environments. So in th for this kind of um, of environments, we're looking for having the, uh, the ability to have our, our device trust uh, cloud-enabled management interface, which allows you to do all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's also a little bit, um, <laughs> when we talk about the, the future stuff, it's about, for us, the ability to expand beside VDI. So I think for us, VDI or end-user computing is just the start uh, of a journey we want to go. So um, so because beside uh, end-user computing, we got also requests already for other uh, technologies we should support, which are cloud-based technologies. So therefore, in a nutshell, though, we are we are looking across UC on-prem. Uh, we, we already support DAS. This is working. Um, and beside the end-user computing place, we are also looking into into new ways to make uh, context available in other technologies too. And therefore, we will have we will see a kind of cloud-enabled device trust in the future. Good to know. Good to know. Um, yeah, that pretty much covered off what I, what I was getting at. So um, you, you mentioned earlier you have a you have a you know alliances with with IGEL for their Ubuntu um, operating system, but uh, and you also mentioned FS Logics along the way. Yes. Are these the technology alliances that you're you're currently standing up today, or is there anybody else that 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 have um, that you you haven't mentioned? No, we are, uh, there's one missed now, a very new one to us is Parallels. So we are also starting uh, technology lines with Parallels. Um, as I said in the summary, we, for us, it's, it's Microsoft, it's Citrix, it's IGEL, it's FS Logics, and uh, now uh, Parallels. And beside those, we're working on other technology alliances in the end-user computing space as well as in non-end-user computing space. So we, as I said before, we got also requests for other, uh, let's say, for other uh, management uh, things to enable those with with, uh, with context as well. So also th this this is the official ones we have. And as I said, we're working on new technology lines. I think one thing which is on our list is, is definitely uh, the, the thing in VMware. We want to get closer to them and um, and things will come on its way, I guess.
Very nice. Um, I, I believe FS Logics is how I got introduced to, to Vice Trust. Um, just seeing them do some joint things um, yeah. together with with you guys. So that's how I got uh, introduced to you. And it's very uh, good to hear that you also have um, VMware you're looking at as yeah. well. So th- that's also good to hear. And I'm, I think Andy will like that also. Um, <laughs> so we we know of upcoming integration, your, your existing ones. You know, so you know besides the VMware integration and some management stuff you mentioned. What's next for device trust? Yeah, the, the real big thing is so other, our, let's say the first step is really covering everything in end-user computing. If it's on-prem or it's in the cloud, so supporting DAS with HTML5 endpoints, whatever we discussed. So that's, I would say, that's our, our goal until end of the year. And then beyond that, uh, as I said already, we, we got questions from other vendors um, to use a context in non-VDI uh, environments. So this is could be uh, web apps, this could be in, uh, apps installed on, on mobile devices, etc. So it's 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 more about also traditional physical endpoints. No? So when we not talk about uh, end-user computing. So we got requests, can we use this also on physical endpoints? Yes, at the moment we can also, we're already supporting physical endpoints with our context engine as well, but it's nothing we currently market here on our website. Uh, but beyond that, we got a question about this Office 365. Uh, can we integrate into, for example, in Microsoft Intune? So this is a lot of things we get asked. And I think that's the next push for next year is to be able to provide the context to any kind of IT management solution. In a nutshell, I would say that's that's the goal uh, for Device Trust. That's a big future. That's a big goal, but it's a it's a very very um, interesting market. And uh, given all the context you know about devices, it 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 it, it does strike me as a no brainer for you guys. So it's um it it makes a hell of a lot of sense. And I'm really looking forward now to see what how you integrate <laughs> it with, with with these uh with these solutions. No, it's it's uh, as you said on the beginning. It's it's uh, we want to make sure the context is everywhere. Let's say none of this. I think that's our our goal. Whatever you use in your from a customer's perspective, uh, perspective in your corporate IT, whatever technology you're using, it should be uh, context enabled, and the context should be always equal, the same. So if you apply a policy in one uh, in one solution, you can do this on the same uh, context information you have as any other. I think that's what we what we want to achieve. Very nice. Well, well, thank you so much for for taking the time out um, of, of your day and, and joining us, Asha, and letting us letting us uh, talk about device trust, um, and also being able to to share the information w- with our users. Um, you know, I encourage our, our frontline chatter users to go out to device trust's website. Um, we'll have links in the in the blog post um, to go out and you know check them out and and go ahead and get the information there. Is there any other information before we close down you'd like to share, Sasha? No, you're absolutely right. Go to our website, request. We have different questions, you, uh, different requests you can select. If you want to have a deeper technical uh, demo, just call out to us. We set up, set it up with you. If you want to evaluate, let us know. We're rep- happy to help. And I can also say from my side, thank you very much, guys, for hosting. That was really a really great session. And, yeah, looking forward for the next one when we talk about our new stuff maybe next year. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, just uh, just to echo what you said there, and uh, Jerry, and um, really enjoyed this podcast. It felt great to, to to be back on the podcast, and um, you were a fantastic guest, Sasha. Uh, uh, I was smiling and laughing all the way through. So thank you for that. I'll, I'll hand over to you. Yes, uh, you know, great had you back on, Andy. Um, it, it's good to catch back up with you and and get your voice back on here again. Um, yeah. You know, like I think our sponsors, FS Logics and, and Liquidware. 
Um, thank you again to Vice Trust for coming on. Um, thank you for listening to the Frontline Chatter podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>